Thanks for watching us here on The Conversation. I'm Brooke Thomas filling in for Jenk tonight, and I'll be back the next couple of nights, and then he'll be back soon. But thank you for joining us. We have a couple of great guests. As always, let's get right into it. First, we are joined by Jasmine Canick, journalist and activist, and we're gonna talk about the case, or cases actually, involving Ed Buck. Jasmine, good evening, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. I really wanted to talk about this for a while. Just in case our viewers don't know, Ed Buck is a Democratic donor who has been charged with two counts of methamphetamine distribution resulting in death. These are federal charges. This is after two black men fatally overdosed at his West Hollywood apartment. Now, Jasmine, I know you've been covering this, the involvement surrounding Ed Buck for a long time. For our viewers, tell us you know, what's going on. So right, so Ed Buck, um, is a Democratic donor here in West Hollywood. He is um, he was known as this sort of um, LGBT um, civil rights animal rights activist. He um, but he was sort of living two lives, and we found out about that first when Jamel Moore died mm-hmm. in his apartment of a crystal meth overdose on in July of 2017. At the time, the sheriff's department just thought it was another meth overdose because we have a lot of those here in LA County. But we found Jamel Moore's journal and it detailed like very clearly what his relationship with Ed Buck was, including the fact that Ed Buck had gotten him hooked on meth, had given him meth, was forcing him to take meth. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of you could see um, from reading his journal sort of the deterioration, what he was going through. And his mother allowed me to publish that journal. And so when I did that, 19 days later after he died is when the sheriff's department decided to open a homicide investigation. So we have this homicide investigation, it doesn't really go anywhere. But during that time period, I had many other young men come forward to me and allow me to tell their stories about um, you know, their involvement with Ed Buck. And, and it was very similar. It was this this white man who picked up black men, black gay men, um, most of the time online using dating apps, but occasionally on the street, like a, a Santa Monica Boulevard or a Skid Row. And he would target black men who we knew were in need of um, shelter, money, food. Um, And he would say, look, the more meth you let me shoot into you, the more money I'm gonna give you. And it was case after case after case after case of this. And we started screaming about this, Mm -hmm. couldn't get any traction on it. Not really with the media, not, you know, definitely not with the sheriff's department at the time and with the district attorney's office. And then Jackie Lacey, our district attorney, black woman, first black woman in that office here in LA, uh, comes back in July of 2018 and says, you know what? We can't press, we're not gonna press any charges against Ed Buck. And then six months later, Timothy Dean dies in Ed Buck's apartment of the exact same causes. Like not even similar circumstances, but the exact same. They're almost identical, right? Crystal meth overdose. And so now we have two bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And we have, um, you know, about a dozen other young um, black gay men who have stepped forward as witnesses. And so we start screaming a, a lot louder. Um, different detectives were assigned to the, to the case this time because there was some media attention on it. They couldn't really just slide it under the rug. Um, and then what happened quite recently is that there was another young man who went over there and he 
overdose, but he did not die. And he managed to let the police, the sheriff's department know what happened to him. And so, um, and then also I wanna, this is really important. So you mentioned in the opener that this was a federal case. And there's a reason for that because our local district attorney didn't do anything. And so um, she says her hands were tied because of California laws. So the feds were brought in. And so as of right now, Ed Buck is charged with providing the meth, the drugs that led to the deaths of Jamel and Timothy Dean. It's the exact same charge that um, Cameron Pettit is charged with in the death of uh, I can't know why the rapper's name is escaping me, but it's it's very it's the exact same charge. Um, and then he's also charged with administering meth to three of the victims so far. On the state side, Ed Buck has only been charged in the in in um what are they calling uh, running a drug house and a couple of other drug charges that would have amounted to like five years in state prison if that. And in California, five years could easily be five days or five weeks. So we're really happy about that, but we're we're still working this case. I mean, there are um, every week there are new victims. There are victims that we're still trying to get in touch with that you know we need to talk to the authorities. Um, we're trying to work as closely as we can with the feds to make sure that they can make their case. Cuz as you know, just because you get arrested and charged doesn't mean that you get convicted. Um, right. And when he was initially, when Ed Buck was initially arrested, they gave him a $4 million bail. He had $4 million. <laughs> if the feds hadn't stepped in and took him and gave him no bail, Ed Buck would have been on the streets free. And so you were, I think you were talking about Mac Miller there, the rapper, the yes. name you couldn't think yes. of. But also, um, I want to go back to Jackie Lacey because have you gotten any answers as far as uh, why it took so long? Why exactly were her hands tied? Um, there has to be, I mean, those questions are everywhere, right? Look, I'll tell you, I met with Jackie Lacey one-on-one this uh-huh. past summer to explain to her how serious and how important this case was. I don't think at the time she took me very seriously. I think she takes me extremely seriously now, now that she's seen the fallout and what has happened. But what we did learn last week was that one of, and we learned this directly from Jackie Lacey, was that one of the reasons why Ed Buck was never charged in Jamal Moore's death was because apparently, the, as she said, the, the detectives who arrived on the scene were not homicide detectives, they were just, um, they were deputies from the local West Hollywood station. They found the meth in Ed Buck's notorious red toolbox. Mm-hmm. And apparently they didn't have a warrant for that and they weren't supposed to go in there. And they were told by a coroner's investigator, if you believe that, that they had permission to go into it and they actually did legally. So that knocked out all of that evidence. So that's what she's blaming now is the reason why Ed Buck was never charged in Jamel Moore's death. And what we've said all along and will continue to say is that had he been charged then, Timothy Dean would still be alive today. Because there are, there's a solid chance that he would have been convicted and he would have been in prison and he would not have been around for Timothy Dean to OD on meth in his apartment in January of this year. There's something else I wanted to ask because I've read a lot. Um, is there like a, a, an, I guess, alleged history of racism with Ed yes. Buck? 
Yes, long alleged history of racism that dates all the way back to his Republican days in Arizona. So before he moved to California and became a Democrat in West Hollywood, he was a Republican in Phoenix, Arizona. And one of the most interesting stories I found about his racism in Phoenix was that he called the black police chief there a baboon. And it oh. made the LA Times here. And this was like back in the, I would say like the 80s. Okay. So, okay. you know, this, when you talk about a long history, yeah, this was like back in 1987. We found current, you know, current meaning within the last few years, Facebook posts of different things that he said. But most importantly, the victims, the survivors who did not die, you know, another common thread in all of their stories was that a part of the deal with um, them, you know, getting any money from Ed Buck meant that Ed Buck could call them the N word and other names that he got off on calling them. Jocelyn, what's next? Because I know right now uh, Ed Buck is being held without bail in yes. federal holding. Yes. And he's got, I guess, those yes. smaller but similar state charges pending. I heard some talk of civil lawsuits as well. What's, yes. what's next at this point? So here's where we are now. Okay. Ed Buck's currently in federal jail. His trial will not be until August 2020. Mm-hmm. He will not be um, out of jail. He will stay in jail until his trial. Um, there is a current civil suit filed on behalf of the estate of Jamel Moore that is currently working its way through the civil court system here in California. And we expect to file a civil lawsuit on behalf of the Timothy Dean family very soon as well. So he'll be dealing with those two. The, the, the state case um, is basically put on hold for the federal case right now, right? Because feds trump state. So mm-hmm. the state case is just there in the wings. If they, you know, if they need to use it, they'll do it. But we're hoping for a conviction in the federal case. And just in terms of the community and the families, you know, look, like I said, it's a long road to conviction. We're trying to make sure that you know um, all of the victims and everyone involved, um, you know, talks to the to the authorities and to the prosecutors, and that we're actually able to see this case all the way through to fruition. We still have a very long ways to go, and for most of us working on this, you know, next steps are making sure that District Attorney Jackie Lacey is not reelected in March 2020 here in Los Angeles County. Jasmine Kanick, journalist and activist here on The Young Turks this evening. Thank you so much for joining us. And I definitely want to have you back as we follow along with this. Thank you so much for having me, Frank. All right, we will be right back with the second half of tonight's uh, the conversation here on The Young Turks. Stay with us. Hey there, welcome back to the conversation. I'm Brooke Thomas, still hanging in there, and I am so excited. Y'all, tweet me and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think this is a first, what you're about to see, because I've been on with Kim Klippenstein on the damage report with John. I think we maybe have been on the main show or something at some point. There's something, but Brooke Thomas, Kenny Clips, one on one, the most more famous than your president on Twitter. Kenny Clips joining us right now, uh huh, on the Young Turks this evening. How are you doing? That's quite an intro. I hope I can live up to it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and unfortunately, we have to get into jump into a serious story here. But I am glad to have you here with us. Thank you. Good to talk to you. 
All right, let's get right into it because you just put out a piece uh, very recently on TYT Investigates. I'm sorry, I didn't let everyone know. If you don't know who I'm talking to, Ken Klippenstein is the senior investigative reporter for TYT. Uh, and so the beginning of your article, right? I wanna, I wanna just read this part. It says, President Trump's US military deployment at the southern border has been authorized to use lethal force in response to civil disturbances at ports of entry. And that should make everyone's kind of mouth drop. You know, what did you find out? Well, so these documents, which were leaked to me by someone in the Pentagon who was concerned about um, the direction things were going, uh, shed light on um, what's called the rules of engagement that the um, military deployment at the southern border, um, you know, pursuant to President Trump's um, direct declaration of a national emergency, according uh, to him, uh, because of uh, undocumented immigrants coming into the country. Um, what the documents show is that those rules of engagement, as as you say, they're they're authorized to, um, in certain circumstances, use lethal force, uh, not just on individuals at ports of entry, but specifically in cases of civil unrest. Um, and so, when you hear civil unrest, that's usually something um, that you would meet with, you know, non-lethals. Uh, and I cite in the story, um, which you can find on tyt.com/investigates, uh, the army. The, the, Army hand, the Army's own handbook uh, that kind of provides guidance on how they're supposed to operate, saying that, um, you know, in general, civil disturbances are supposed to be met with uh, non-lethal um, tools, of which there are many more now than there even were decades ago, crowd suppressants, you know, um, those kind of things. So, yeah, for all those reasons, I was really shocked as well. Has this actually been implemented? Yeah, it has. And um, if you go through the operations order, uh, which is the document uh, that you know was given to me, and that uh, discloses all of this. Mm -hmm. It seems as though it came. It, it, it seems as though it came directly from POTUS. Can you explain like what the full extent of this force would be? Well, they can literally kill someone yeah. if um, they perceive uh, the people in these, um, you know, civil unrest situations. Um, if they believe them to, you know, pose a threat of serious bodily injury or death um, to uh, border patrol law enforcement there. And what's interesting is the way that they, you know, define it is um, you can use this lethal force in situations where um, CBP or other military, if I recall, um, are, you know, have, are in riot formation. And so that, you know, suggests strongly, I think that, um, you know, this, this is how they might meet rioters, which um, I haven't seen any cases of riots. I don't see why they would happen at um, ports of entry, right. but that's something that they have a contingency for. And so now you explain why this is obviously like against normal military rules, but, and this seems like a dumb question, but like as we've learned, the president and what's legal don't always line up. <laughs> so is this legal? Um, it's sort of a gray area. Okay. Because we have something called posse comitatus, uh, which is a reconstruction era law after Civil War. Uh, you know, surprise, surprise, after the Civil War, people weren't too keen on the military stomping around mm. um, US soil. Mm -hmm. And under posse comitatus, the posse comitatus act, the military is not allowed to, um, you know, places severe restrictions on the military's ability to operate on um, domestic soil. Uh, and the spirit of that is supposed to be, um, you know, that has a corrosive effect on civil society, on democracy. Uh, you know, this is that military is operating on, on, on domestic soil. That's how, you know, military dictatorships arise. So um, in light of all of that, um, it does, you know, seem to uh, fly in the face of at least the spirit of that order. But uh, when a president makes something like a national security um, declaration, declares a crisis like that, that does give them extraordinary powers. So um, it's unclear to me. Okay, so I want to move on to something that you brought to my attention. I was joking about your Twitter earlier, but I do get a lot of information from your Twitter. <laughs> um, and uh, you were tweeting about this. It's a uh, 
I want you guys to see it, see a little bit of it. It's a billionaire investor, Leon Cooperman, discussing his concerns about the 2020 election and specifically Elizabeth Warren. Take a look. My game plan is half I'm gonna give away in my lifetime, and the other half I'm gonna give to my family as a legacy in the form of a foundation where they can meet periodically and give away the money. So, so, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go finish your thought, Lee. Well, I don't need Elizabeth Warren or the government giving away my money. I think it's kind of obvious people can not only see the emotion on your face, but hear it in your voice when you talk about this, Lee, why? I care. That's it. Ken, help me out here. That poor, poor guy. I mean, can you imagine having that much money and not having the time to spend it? And then, of all people, you have these politicians yelling at you that people want water without lead in it. You know, they want their kids to go to school. So bad. I mean, what is this world coming to? You know? I, that is so bad. I don't, uh, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that. I, I, but I guess I can, but like, it's just like even like wanting people to empathize with you. People can't empathize with you. That's the point. It's you, if more people could empathize with you, uh, you wouldn't. There, you know, you wouldn't be that rich. I, I love this idea that we're not hearing the billionaire point of view. Right. When, you know, it's on a billionaire-owned uh, investor-owned network. It's a billionaire talking. It's talking to somebody else that probably went to a school funded by billionaires, and we're not hearing enough from them. We need to, you know, we need to hear more. In order to understand the plight of the uh, forgotten, the forgotten bit, there needs to be the equivalent of the um, when the reporters go to the Midwest and they visit the diners. We need to start visiting billionaires and getting coffee with them to see uh, the other side of the story. I'd take that job. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. Uh, can you? What do you say to like people when I think there's there is this kind of it's the hot word these days billionaires although there's not as many of them as you'd like I guess these the people who like to defend it um, and because of the way the system sets up the people who are defending it are very less likely going to like become one but um, how do you explain to people like this argument against billionaires existing in uh, America? Well, I tend to think that it has an inherently corrosive effect on democracy. And I think that it is irrelevant um, whether or not he means well. Because when you have that much money, um, it's almost like a uh, it's almost like a planet where it has a gravitational force of its own and you know, it'll pull politicians towards it, it'll pull uh, you know, people need people want that want that money. And so when you have one individual with that much power, I think it's inconceivable that it's not going to have some effect on the on the politics, whether they want it to or not, uh, and uh, you know, even if they're well-meaning, that's going to be a disproportionate exercise of power that is not going to reflect the majority of the country. So I don't know that it matters what their beliefs are if they're Republican or Democrat. Mm-hmm. I think you give someone that much privilege, it's going to affect other folks. And even like the idea that this man that we were just talking about was well-meaning. This is something else he said. He said it's appealing to the lowest common denominator and basically trying to turn people's heads around by promising free stuff. Um, I'm like, is the lowest common denominator those people? That- yeah, it's like it's almost like he's going to launch into a discussion of the. It, it, it reminds me, it's like the medieval era where the you know the the highborn have the right blood and those types with the you know dirty sort of um, uh, uh, you know undesi- the undesirables of society. It was very weird to see that coming out of just having seen Joker. I'll I'll say that. <laughs> 
Speaking of a joke, can we just have a little, we have a couple minutes left. Can we have a little conversation um, about why uh, hey boomer is not the new N word? <laughs> I love it. It's after how many years of millennials are ruining this, millennials destroy the diamond industry, millennials you know, are destroying avocados, they're doing this. And, this. <laughs> and then one joke, one thing after years of this, and you know, I'm in media, I've, had to, I've seen these things posted to Facebook, you know, Twitter, social media. It became, a, it's like a me, and then you do one thing back and it's, oh my God, what is this world coming to? You know, wait, why are they, it's the same thing as the billionaire thing. You're <laughs> it, right, it, it's just about, it's ridiculous. I right. think it's so frustrating, Oh, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so, it's so, Fascinating how uh, people like to run to that, like when they have their own issues. And I don't really love the hey boomer thing. It's not my thing. I, I didn't really like it. I do think it's kind of like it's a joke and it's lighthearted. I, yeah. I thought it was kind of it's kind of it's like saying like hey, okay old man, and that right. that makes me feel bad. But um, nothing is the new n word because most of the time when people make that comparison, they can spell one of the words out and not right. the other one. And it's just that doesn't click for people. And that's so fascinating that you would put that it out on. It's almost like the account was run by people that say hey boomer to kind of <laughs> undermine their art cuz it's the funniest most ridiculous I can't think of a better illustration of exactly what they're making as they say boomer is a state of mind when people say that they don't literally mean people you know ages 55 and above or whatever it is they just mean the idea of someone who's out of touch uh, you know which I can't think of a better illustration so of So like people than, who struggle with Google tweet. Docs so I would be a boomer <laughs> Yeah exactly and I always say to myself I'm having a boomer moment you know skip that's just any time I can't figure out compatibility <laughs> Right. <laughs> Kim, this has been great. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us here this evening. Uh, really nice to chat with you. Yeah, it's great. Keep putting out great work. It's always everything you put out is great. So we're glad to have I you. Really appreciate, I really appreciate that. All right, that's it for the conversation. I'm Brooke Thomas. I'm glad to be hanging out in Jinx Absence. And I will be back tomorrow. And post game is here. And I think Brett Ehrlich is forcing me to join him. Mm hmm. I think, no, I'm just kidding. No, of course, I'm happy to be here. And um, that's it, right? Yeah. We're, oh, no, the, you know what? Skip just reminded me. I have a podcast, okay? And I don't talk about this enough, but it's called Controlling Our Narrative. And I think it's a great podcast, and I think everyone should check it out. And if I'm going to borrow the seat for a little bit, I can steal some of the time, too, I guess, right? I don't know. That's how it works. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for the post game. If you are not a member, you should be. Go to tyt.com slash join and become one. I'm Brooke Thomas, thanks for watching.